Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in his plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Amen. Amen. So um, we are in Second Peter, and we're looking at chapter 1. Um, and we're looking at Christian character, and, and specifically, we're looking at where's our part in it. So uh, this, this past Valentine's Day, um, Georgia and myself, we, uh, um, we, we went out on a date. We had date night, and uh, we went to the Cheesecake Factory in um, Danbury, which we hadn't been to a Cheesecake Factory probably in about 10 years. It was really a blessed time. We enjoyed ourselves. And then afterwards, uh, we walked through the Danbury Mall, and right next to the Cheesecake Factory is the L.L. Bean store. So we go in there just to, to, you know, look at everything and marvel at the prices. And, you know, I think they market in pesos. (laughs) It's like like $200 for a pair of pants? Like, (laughs) you know, is this Spanish currency or something? But uh, as we were waking our way through, there was this one pair of pants uh, that that was extremely eye-catching. One because it was very attractive, and I don't know how people can make clothes look so good, you know. But um, but the other thing was was the size of it. At first, from a distance, you thought it was uh, they were waders, you know, like for for fly fishing or something like that. But they weren't. They were actual real pants, but they were massive. And they were hanging right up on the wall. And so I was curious. I said, I have to see uh, the size of these things. And so I looked at it, and it, and it said 4X on the, on the tag. You know? <laughs> and I, thought, I, I thought, you know, who can fill these pants? <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, come on, 4X. You guys wouldn't fit in these pants, I'm telling you. you know? like they, 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 were, they, they looked like a joke. Almost, you know, and, and they were just so big. Who who can fill this, you know? And um, you know, and I got to thinking about that later on. Is that sometimes, uh, you know, in our walk with the Lord, we might run into a Christian, and we see their character, or we see the fruit that's coming out of their life, or we see Christ demonstrated in them in such an impressive way, in such a graceful way, and uh, and and you know, our human nature is kind of to compare ourselves. And we, we think, like, who could ever match that? Who could ever reach that level? Who could ever fill those pants? <laughs> In a sense of, uh, of how did they grow um, to get to this point? And is it even possible? You know, is it something that's just given to one or two, but it's unreachable to the rest of uh, Christianity? And um, what Peter is challenging us here in this text is that it's possible for us to grow, that we don't have to resign ourselves to just saying, okay, well, I've come this far and I don't need to go any further or I can't go any further uh, or I'm stunted in some way. But what he's giving us here is he's giving us a practical uh, avenue whereby we can see continual growth in our lives. And it's really limitless. You know, we're dinosaurs in the sense that we never stop growing. If we choose to grow closer to God and grow uh, more fully to be an expression of him, uh, we don't ever have to stop growing. If you're still breathing, 
you're still growing. And so um, Peter is giving us this thing now. Uh, just to quickly, by way of review, Peter makes general assumptions in this chapter as he goes through his thing. And, and, and his assumptions are, are six. And they are that no, one, no Christian wants to be barren. No Christian wants to be unfruitful. No Christian wants to be blind. No Christian wants to forget where they came from. No Christian wants to fall into sin or into error or stumble. And no Christian, most of all, above all, wants to waste their life. No Christian wants to stand before Jesus one day, uh, see everything um, put up on the screen, uh, you know, see all the resources that are weighed out in the balances, uh, see the pie chart of how they use their life, and, and just realize inside, without anybody speaking a word, that it was wasted, that so much of it was for nothing. Uh, nobody wants that. I know that that's the thing that keeps me up at night. Um, the most serious thing, at least, that keeps me up at night is, is the, the fear of a wasted life. Uh, Peter sums up our calling in verse 3. If you're looking at it there, um, you know, the title of the message is 4X Faith, you know, uh, and you'll understand why. But he gives to us the calling that we have in verse 3. It says, according as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us Two. So here's our calling. This is what we've been called to. This is where we're headed. He says two things, to glory and virtue. So two things that we have been called unto are, are glory and virtue. That's where we're going. That's where God wants to take us. This is universal. This is for all of us. It has nothing to do with our gifts. It has nothing to do with our ministry, the type of fruit that we bear. This is generic, universal calling. And he says that we're called, first of all, to glory. And the word means honor it means dignity, and, <coughs> excuse me, typically applied to majesty, you know, so that's the context of it. So the kind of glory that you would see in someone who's royalty. So if you were in the presence of a, of a king, in his splendor, in his palace, in his presentation, you know, you would just kind of have this overwhelming sense of glory that surrounds that individual. The other thing that he says, not only glory, but then he says virtue. And the word virtue means excellence, valor, or moral goodness. So excellence, valor, or moral goodness. And, and so when you look at these two things, glory and virtue, that we have been called unto, basically um, the glory speaks of the royalty of who we are positionally. We have been, because of what Jesus has provided for us, we have been made royalty. It says that he has called us kings and priests. And so because of Jesus, God looks at us positionally as already being royal. That's something that's given to us. But then the other side of that, when he says virtue, he's not talking about what we have been made already, but rather he's talking about now the process of our character catching up with our calling. So we have been called glorious but now he is producing in us virtue. And the whole goal of God in this thing we call the Christian life is to bring equilibrium between glory, what we've been called, and virtue, what we actually are. And so if you think of it as, as kind of an equation, you would have glory on the one side of the equation 
And on the other side of the equation, you would have virtue. And anytime you have an equation, you need both sides to be equaled out. And so the call of God upon our lives is that our character would rise to the level where it's of equal value to what we've been made in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul gives the same equation in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, but he words it in another way. He says it like this. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you've been called. Now, you see that word worthy right there? It's up on the screen. That word worthy there in the verse. That word worthy is the equal sign in the equation. In fact, the word worthy is the word in the Greek. It's axion, which means equal. And so that you would walk equal. So your walk is your behavior. Your walk is your lifestyle. Your walk is what you do, who you are. The calling is what he has made you. The calling or the vocation, that's you are a Christian. You belong to Jesus Christ. You have been cleansed. You're completely forgiven and spotless. That's what you're called. And what Paul is saying here and what Peter is saying in Peter is that the call or the glory that we've been given should equal our character. Now, let me disappoint you and give you hope at the same time. (laughs) Is that on this side of eternity, those two things will never be equal. Before we get to heaven, you will never come to the place where your character is equivalent to Jesus Christ. Uh, Anyone who says that is deceived. They're delirious because it cannot happen. But the call that we've been given is that we're constantly growing in our virtue to the point where there is a change in our lives happening day by day. And so, He says that we've been called to glory and virtue. Now notice down in verse 5, because here's the action. We ask the question, okay, we're not going to get there on this side of heaven, but we're supposed to be growing. So how does that happen? How do we grow in our virtue? Notice verse 5. He says, besides all of this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. Okay, so we're called to glory and virtue this characteristic of excellence, of valor, of moral goodness. And now he tells us to diligently do something. We have a part to play in seeing this process worked out in our lives of becoming what he wants us to be, of what he, what he has called us to be. And so we have this action, this call, this command that we're to be diligent to add virtue to our lives. And so how do we add virtue to our lives? What does it mean to add virtue, to add excellence or add uh, this, this valor or this moral goodness to our lives? How do we do it? And I want to give you four X's this morning uh, in terms of a response to the call to add virtue into our lives. The four X's are expense, example, examination, and an experiment. There's an expense, there's an, there's an example, there's an examination, and there's an experience. And so how do we add virtue? First of all, is that there, we have to recognize that there's an expense. And when I use that word expense, what I'm talking about primarily is really that there has to be buy-in, what we call buy-in uh, on our behalf. 
Um, and, and so buy-in means it's the part of our lives where we assess the call and the reward and we come to the conclusion in ourselves that it's worth it for me to pursue this. I have buy-in on it. Now, I've screwed up a lot of things as a parent, but one of the things that I think that I've gotten right as a parent is, is that I've always sought with my kids when I'm teaching them or correcting them or encouraging them, I've, I've always sought to get buy-in from them as to what it is that I'm saying. And the reason that I've, I feel like I've done that right as a parent is because one of the things I remember uh, hating about the way that I was raised is that I was never given a why behind what it is that I was being asked to do. The, 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 uh, the, the, um, the framed answer that was given to me every time I asked the question why was because I said so. That was the answer. Well, why do I have to do this? Because I said so. And there was something even in my puny, undeveloped mind that that just didn't produce buy-in. I, didn't, I, didn't, I wasn't convinced that I should do what they were asking me to do. I did it. But there was no buy-in, and so my participation was always half-hearted because I don't know why I was doing what I was being asked to do. You know, so I, as a parent, always remember that feeling, and so with my kids, I always want to get buy-in. So before I even tell them what it is that I want them to do or what they should be doing or what they did wrong, I'll always try to explain the consequences of actions or the, the outcome of certain decisions, and I'll give that to them, and then I'll say, this is why you should do this. And I see something that happens oftentimes in them is that there's buy-in is that they're agreeing with me that what I'm asking them to do is the right thing to do. And then when they do it, they're doing it because they want to do it and not simply because I have told them to do it. And so if we want to add virtue to our lives, the very first thing that we need is buy-in, wherein we're agreeing with God that this is a worthy pursuit. Because it's not easy. It comes at a cost. Sometimes there's pain involved. Sometimes there's deep pain involved. Sometimes just seeing things about our lives that we have to see hurts really bad. And then the action that accompanies that vision sometimes is contrary to our nature and it takes work. And so there has to be a recognition in my understanding that it's worth it for me to go this direction. That for me to grow in my excellence or in my valor as a man or in my moral goodness, that I have to understand that it's worth it and that I want this. This is something that I want in my life. Now, Peter gives us that by telling us the six things that are going to happen to us if we don't. He says we're going to be barren. We're going to be unfruitful. We're going to be blind. We're going to forget where we came from. We're going to have a, a, an entrance into heaven that's accompanied by shame. And we're going to be constantly stumbling in sin within our lives. And if that's what I want as a Christian, then I ignore the call to grow in my virtue. But if I don't want those things, if I want virtue, if I want fruit, if I want an abundant entrance, then I have buy-in and I say, yes, Lord, whatever it costs, I want it. I want to grow in virtue. And so I recognize the expense and then I take to task, Lord, what do I need to do? And so after the expense, now the second X is that now I need an example. If I'm going to grow in virtue, then for me, I need a pattern or an example of what that looks like so that I know what I'm growing into. And thank God that we have that in three different ways. 
we have an example, first and foremost, in the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that no man has seen God at any time, but the Father, through the Son, has declared him or revealed him. And thus Jesus is for us the model of the kind of man God wants to make us into. And so we look at the person of Christ, and God has exposed him in every way, his character, his ideals, his morality, his strength, his courage, his love, his selflessness. God has exposed Jesus to us as the supreme example constantly that we can look at and we can say that is what glory and virtue coupled together looks like when there's axion on equal sides. Royalty coupled with the character that goes along with royalty. I have an example in Jesus Christ. Now sometimes we look at that example and that's an overwhelming example because we know we're never going to measure up to it. And God knew that we would think that. God knew that we would make excuses for ourselves on that. So God provided another example. He provided the other men and women in the Bible that took this call and grew in virtue and they saw fruit produced in their lives even though they were fallen and sinful by nature. And so we have the Apostle Paul. And we look at the Apostle Paul and he's a great example to us. He wasn't perfect, but he was a man who had a pursuit that wanted to grow and God put his life on the pages of Scripture for us to examine. Not just Paul, but we look at David, a man who, from a child, we see his life and how he grew in virtue, even though he made mistakes. We look at Abraham, not just the men, but some of the women in the Bible. And so God has laid out for us an example of what it means to grow in virtue. And, and the added advantage of those examples is with Jesus, you don't have the example of what to do when you fail, because he never failed. <laughs> but with those other ones, we can learn, okay, if I, if I have a setback, if I trip up, what do I do then? And God has laid that for us. He's given us an example. The, the other example that God has given to us is, is that from time to time in our Christian walk, we will come in, in close contact with someone who is further along in the process than we are. And God uses them as examples for us. And so a mentor or a, a leader or a pastor or maybe even someone you don't know, but someone who's alive that you can examine their life, God has given examples of these things. And so sometimes we need an example to help us to understand where it is that we're going. Another, another I guess, form of an example is just the Bible. I mean, sometimes it isn't the life of the person in the Bible, but it's just the instruction that the Bible gives to us. The Bible tells us that we're not to lie. It tells us that we're not to steal. It tells us that we're not to lust. The Bible tells us that, you, you know, that a man works with his hands, uh, that he provides for his family. The Bible describes for us what love looks like and its behavior. And so that's not a person, but yet it's an example. It's a pattern. It's something that I can uh, look at. So after I have my expense analyzed and I agree there's buy and I'm going to do it and then now I have an example the third thing that I need for virtue to grow in my life is now I need an examination and this is where it starts to get a little bit painful because it's kind of easy for me to say yeah I want good fruit and I want a good entrance into heaven and it's easy for me to look at the example and say yeah I agree that's the ideal and man those guys are great role models and everything. That's easy. But now once I have to take those things and I have to compare them to my life. So I've got the glory side of the scale all loaded up. 
Jesus is there. Paul is there. You know, the Bible is there. Now it's time for me to step on the scale and see if these two things come to axion. Is there equal weight between what I see and what I am? And all of a sudden I step on it and it goes... And the weight of glory is way beyond where I am, way up here. And so this examination kind of begins now in my life. Now, James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, and I did you the favor of letting you read it on the blue screen with the reflection on it, so you strain your eyes. But James says this, James chapter 1, he says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, then he is like a man who beholds his natural face in a glass. Now that's King James for a mirror. So you all know what that is like. You, you get up in the morning, you turn on the bathroom light, and face to face in front of you is a big, huge dose of truth. You know, you look right in the mirror and right looking back at you is a perfect reflection of you. You're looking at a natural man. And and so James says that the person who hears the word but doesn't do it is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror for he looks at himself and then he goes his way and quickly, straight away, he forgets what manner of man he was. Now, if you have that gift, praise the Lord. If you can do that and walk away in the natural. But whoso looks now into the perfect law of liberty. I I absolutely love that definition of the scripture, the word. He calls it the law of freedom. It almost seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? I mean, wouldn't you think that law and freedom are kind of contrary terms? Someone who's under strict laws is bound. But he calls it the law of freedom. Why? Because there's a law that brings freedom. Everyone's going to serve something. You're going to either be a slave to your desires and what you call freedom from the law, or you can be a slave to the word of God that brings true freedom. You choose. I I had someone recently, um, I was listening to a a guy who was saying how, how much he relies upon his calendar. He says he schedules everything, even answering a text message. Sometimes he'll put it on his calendar. And, and, you know, the context was how he's able to accomplish so much. And the interviewer said, well, don't you feel like sometimes you're a slave to your calendar? And he said, absolutely. He said, I am, I am 100% a slave to my calendar. And he said, and the reason is because I would rather be a slave to my calendar than a slave to my chaos. And you're going to be one or the other. And he said, and I choose this. And, and, and the, you know, the kind of life validated what he was saying. But here's the bottom line is that we're going to serve something. And and James calls it the law of liberty. And he says, he that looks into the law of liberty and continues in it, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So in other words, when we look at the example, when we look at Jesus or Paul or the Bible, and then we compare it to our lives and we let it search out and we see the inconsistency between Jesus and us, We have two choices. We can walk away from that and we can justify it or ignore it or forget about it. Or we can let it examine us, let it shine its light upon the flaw that's in us, and we can choose to do something about it. That's where the buy-in comes in because the word or the example reveals the flaws in us and usually they're flaws that we don't want to see. Now, human beings, this is all of us, universal, have a tendency to dim the lights to where we're comfortable with the amount of truth that's revealed, 
right? Like I have two light switches in my bathroom, one that turns on the lesser light and one that turns on the greater lights. And when I go in there in the morning, I'm smart enough to know don't turn on the one that puts on the greater lights because I don't want that level of truth. I just don't want to stub my toe on the bottom of the vanity, you know. And so I turn on the lesser light because it only reveals so much truth. And by nature, we kind of do that. Do you know by human nature, when you are... When you make the, 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 the snap judgment that you're going to look in the mirror and see yourself, do you know that instinctually you pull your gut in? Every, every one of us does that. You know? Sometimes you see a picture of yourself and you go, whoa. You know, and, you, I didn't know, and the reason you didn't know you look like that is because you instinctually go. I, I used to, when I worked in the city, I would just sometimes watch people, you know, and they'd walk down the city streets. And this, the buildings in the city are all glass front, every one. And almost every person that walks by, as they walk down, they, they look at themselves as they walk, you know. And you see them, they all pull, pull in, you know, this whole thing and, and, and adjust. Because why? Because we, we want to feel good about ourselves. We want to feel good about how we're doing, feel good about the way that we look. And if we approach the Word of God always sucking in our gut, so to speak, then we're not allowing the examination to take place. We're trying to make ourselves feel better rather than to see where we really need to grow. And so we need to, we need to allow the examination to happen in our lives so that we can see where, where it is that we need to grow. Now, a lot of times that happens when we just ask God to reveal. Lord, I'm coming to you in your word right now. And I want you to reveal in my life what needs to change or what needs to happen or what you see in me or, how, or where virtue needs to be added to my life. And you know what's a sweet thing about this? There, there is a sweetness to this examination process I have found before the Lord. Because oftentimes I already know what my flaws are. I, I know I have a receding hairline, so to speak. You know, I know, I know where the flaws are in my character, where my sins are, where, where I falter. I know what those things are. I don't need the Word to show me again. You know, I already know it's there. But oftentimes the examination, what God does, and this is the beautiful part and what I love about the Lord, is that he doesn't show me my sin that I already know. What he'll show me is the motive or the reason why I'm constantly falling in that area or why that's a weakness for me. And, and oftentimes that's the thing that I need more than to see. I don't need someone to shine a flashlight on it again. I know it's there. But I, I do need to understand why I'm wired this way. Why do I always default back to this stupidity? Why am I short-fused and short-tempered? Why am I you know, tempted to look? Why are those things there in me? And when God reveals that, that's a blessed examination. Because now we can deal with something and, and we can find a pathway towards healing or a pathway towards cleansing or a pathway towards freedom. And so the, the examination is an essential part of adding virtue. But then that brings us to the fourth element, which is the experiment. The fourth X in this process of adding virtue into our lives is, is now, what do we do about it? Now that I have seen it, what I'm supposed to be, and I see where I don't measure up, what's the experiential application? What do I do? Now pay attention, guys, to this because this is very important because this is where many fail. This is where most people fail in this whole venture to add virtue to our lives. Listen to me. This is where we fail is that we do this thing, is that we try really hard. That's where failure happens. I see what needs to happen in my life 
I agree that it needs to happen in my life. And so I pull my bootstraps up and I roll up my sleeves and I put my best effort into seeing that thing change or to seeing that adjustment made or whatever God is putting his, his light on in my life at this point. I'm going to try really hard. And you know what happens when you do that? One of three things happens to every person. Number one is that you end up in hypocrisy. Because you try really hard, but you find that you don't have the strength or the power to produce the change in and of yourself. And so you put on the front to everyone else like you, this thing is addressed or fixed or isn't an issue. But you know in yourself it really is. And so there's hypocrisy. You're not being real. You're not who you are. You're two different people. One person that everybody sees or thinks, but you're someone else behind the scenes. That's hypocrisy. The second way, you fit, if it's not hypocrisy, what it'll spin off into is what we would call duplicity. Duplicity is this concept of now I pick and choose what I believe is right and wrong in the word of God. I believe a couple different things. I'm professing I believe Christianity, but I'm living a belief in something else. My true belief, I profess Jesus is Lord, but my belief is Jesus is Lord, but he was wrong about theft, anger, and adultery. Those things are okay. It's not actually sin. Because if it was, then he would have done taken it out of my life or wouldn't have given me the opportunity to do it so often, you know. And that's duplicity. And so, so I, I've tried, I failed, and so what I've done is justified it. I've justified my sin. And then the third way failure manifests itself is apostasy. Apostasy is when I say, I tried Christianity, it didn't work for me. I tried God's way, I gave it my best effort, but I can't do it, and so I'm just not going to be a follower of God because I don't want to be a hypocrite. That's apostasy. And so effort, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to add virtue. I'm going to change. Effort is always going to result hypocrisy, duplicity, or apostasy. You will fail every single time you try to try. To try. That's not the way to respond to the examination after the example, after the expense, the buy-in. So what is the way? How do we do it? Here's how we do it. Here's the right way to add virtue to our lives once we realize that we lack it or need it. Number one is this, is that we need to personally invite God into the area that needs virtue. Okay, so you, you, might, you might be in a, in a situation where, you know, God is, is putting something on your life and he's saying that you're eating too much or, you know, you're drinking too much alcohol or you don't like a person and there's bitterness in your heart or you're undisciplined in a certain area of your life. You know, now the, the first thing you do is you invite God into that area of your life. You say, God, I am struggling with this, I recognize that I'm failing in it, and so I'm asking you to come into that part of my life, come into that desire, come into that thing. I want you to walk with me through this. Now, what most people do is that they kind of keep God out of their struggle because they think, well, this is what's keeping me from God, and so God doesn't have any part in this. He won't bless me until I fix this, and so I've got to do this by myself. That's an error. Because you can't do it by yourself. Jesus said, without me, you can do what? Nothing. That's right. You can do nothing. And so the first thing that we do is we invite Jesus into the struggle. Lord, this is, the, I, I'm, I'm embarrassed about it. Lord, this is a huge 
infraction on what you called me to be. I'm ashamed of the fact that this is in my life, but Lord, I'm inviting you into this part of my life. I need you to walk with me through this. And then the second thing that you do after you've invited Jesus to walk with you in it is that you confess it. 1 John 1, 9, and I should have made a slide for it, but I didn't. It's 1 John 1, 9. In fact, the whole reason I made slides was for this verse, and I to- forgot to make a slide for it. That's how professional I am, you know. But 1 John 1, 9 says this. You write it down. You probably already know it. It says, if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just, meaning that he can do it righteously. To do what? To forgive. For, to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So when we confess our sin, the word confess in the Greek is homologeo, and it means to speak the same thing. That's what confess means, to say the same thing. In other words, I'm saying the same thing about my sin that God says about my sin. I'm agreeing with God. That what, I, what I'm doing wrong, what needs to grow, is sin. I'm confessing it, and when I do that, not only is it forgiven, but its power is broken. That's what it means to have it cleansed. And so I invite God into that area of life, then I confess the sin, I say the same thing, and then the third thing I do is that I ask God to lead the change. So I let Him lead the process of seeing the repair. I let him lead that process. And so if, if, if God reveals it in my life that I'm eating too much, okay, then what I do is I say, Lord, lead me, lead my life to the place where, it's, where that's under control, where that's in the place that you want it to be. So how does God do that? He might give you just one small step. He might excite you or give you the idea or just put it in your mind to stop eating half a box of ice cream before you go to bed. That's just one step, you know? That's a big step. Let's make it smaller, you know? He he knows the steps. He knows the steps that we can endure. You're like, ah, hypocrisy, duplicity, I'm done, you know, whatever. He might just say, stop putting ketchup on your eggs. You know, it's just an idea. That's it. It's not, it's, this isn't even a sin thing. It's just one step. One step. And so, and, and so that's, that's how he begins to lead change. Maybe you're struggling with alcohol, and you say you invite God in, you confess it as sin, and what he might do in your life is he might reveal to you in your mind that you weren't even thinking about a trigger, something that, something that triggers you to go down that road. He might just like, bring it to mind. You know, you know what? Every time this happens, I'm tempted in this way. And, and, and so for you, that might like, give you some insight as to how you can avoid that trigger. Well, every time I walk into this bar, I'm tempted to... <laughs> a, this triggers me, you know? And maybe I shouldn't go in there, you know? It might just be one step. You might not like a person. You ask God to lead change in, 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 a, in a pride issue in your life towards another person, and you know what God might do? He might use that person in some way to bless your life. Or he might show you some reason why that person's in your life because of something it's doing for you. And he might bring that to the surface of your awareness, and it changes your perspective towards that person. You might be undisciplined in just a, a miscellaneous area of your life, and, and, or you just might be an undisciplined person in general. And you say, God, I need to be more disciplined if I'm going to grow in my virtue. And he might just give you one thing. He might just put it in your heart. Just make your bed every day. 
That's it. Just make your, just first, before you leave your house, make your bed every day. It's not, it's a very small step, but sometimes small steps, and it's a series of small steps that turn into big changes over time. And so we ask God to lead the change that needs to happen in my life. And what we're doing is we're letting him love us through and lead us through change. And in the process, we're adding virtue to our lives. That's how you become a 4X Christian over time. And then you'll become 5X. You'll become extraordinary. (laughs) Because you're growing. We're growing. So let's just review and then we're done. We want to add virtue to our lives. So we want to close the gap between who we are and what we do. Who we are as Christians, what we do is our behavior. And we want to bring those things to axion. We want to bring those things to equal. And so we do that by, first of all, accepting the expense. We have buy-in from God that the process is worth it. It's worthwhile for me to, to answer the call and add to my faith virtue. Then we look at the example. We look to Jesus. We look to the Bible. We look to Christians that we look up to, that are mentors to us. And we allow the comparison to show us and reveal where we are. Then, third is the examination. We face the hard truth of the areas of our life that need to grow, the things that are stunting our Christian growth. And then finally, we partake in the experience. We do that by inviting God into the areas of our life that need change. We confess the sin and break the power of it in our lives. And we ask God to lead the change. Just give us a single step. And then we take the step when he gives it to us. We just obey and we follow. And the outcome is that we're going to grow. And here's the bottom line, guys, is that we have one chance in this life. You know, this is not a dress rehearsal. This is the performance right now. We have one chance to raise our kids. We have one chance to influence their lives. We have one chance to bear fruit, to, to figure out what it is that God made us for. We have one, one clock that, that represents the lifespan that we've been given. And in one bit of time. And here's the, here's the bottom line, is that if your heart is still beating, then God's not finished yet. And so we have this call with a reason to add virtue to our lives. He's shown us how to do it. He's given us all the opportunity. Everything that we need for life and godliness is in us. And if we do what he asks us to do, we're going to become what we're supposed to be. And that's what we want, right? So we grow in virtue. Next time, we'll talk about knowledge. Adding knowledge. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so that you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback. So if you would, leave a review in iTunes or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.